The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Derek Dorch of the Diversa Group, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Derek T. Dorch. Welcome to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for joining our show. Today we're going to have one of our favorite guests, uh, Evan Lesser. He is the founder and president of ClarenceJobs.com. He's been with us for quite some time, and he always gives us a, a earful uh, of just information about what's going on in the clearance job market. And so we're always happy to have them. Uh, Evan, hey, thanks for coming on the show again. My pleasure. Good to talk with you, Derek. Always, always. Hey, let's talk about what's happening. I mean, there's been a lot of news about what's going on with uh, Amazon recently in terms of, uh, uh, you know, everything that's happening. And so, uh, you know, Amazon was supposed to be in New York, and then I think that kind of fell through. Uh, the HQ2 is going to be, I believe, in what, Virginia now? Um, or where we're always going to be in Virginia. Uh, what's going on, but what's the impact on clearances? I know they have a heavy federal market. Is that uh, part of what their move for Virginia was? What's happening with them? Yeah, so so keep in mind that um, when you talk about Amazon, you kind of have to clarify whether you're talking about uh, Amazon, the retail service that everybody knows, or whether you're talking about Amazon Web Services, which is mm. their cloud um, computing business. And Amazon Web Services and Amazon Retail are two very separate, very distinct um, entities. So the the web services business has been in uh, Northern Virginia and the Metro DC area for for a while now. And as you know, um, uh, they have a a pretty good amount of business with the federal government. Um, Most of those positions for Amazon web services are security cleared. It's a much smaller operation than than the retail businesses, but it's, it's definitely important to them. On the other side, which is really what's making most people's news is Amazon Retail opening up its HQ2 in, uh, in in Crystal City, and that's really, I think, what we've been focused on mostly of late, which is um, interesting because those are not cleared positions, but the impact to the cleared market um, is going to be substantial due to the number of people that they want to hire in the area for HQ2, and uh, the assumption is that some of the people they'll be hiring have security clearance and they're going to let their security clearances drop or lapse so they can go to work for this new attractive employer. You know, it, 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 is, is the market right now, and, and I know the job report just recently came out and they were saying, hey, there's been all this increase in terms of um, uh, the jobs in IT sector and everything else. I'm, I'm assuming that those are kind of non-clear positions and that there is starting to be this move towards um, IT and, and cyber and other areas that are more non-clear than necessarily cleared market. Is that the case right now? And, and is that having a major impact upon, you know, those working kind of cybersecurity or cyber threat intelligence or kind of keeping that Amazon cloud safe? Yeah, I mean, most people think of um, tech talent in the Washington, D.C. area, and they think of government, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, rightly um, an appropriate assumption. But um, one of the new factors, in fact, I learned this um, just yesterday, was the fact that Washington, D.C., Metro D.C. area is the third largest growth area in the country for tech talent behind um, New York City, and then at the very top, obviously, Silicon Valley. So, you know, keep in mind that a lot of companies are coming to the D.C. region for um, all the benefits that it offers, um, right. you know, in- including, uh, you know, a great place to live, uh, um, easy um, access to 
to rail, to air, to um, you know all sorts of transportation. But mostly companies come there for the talent, for all the smart uh, people in the area. So you know it's important to to, to note that while we typically think of DC area as government, rightly so, there are lots and lots of companies that are there that have absolutely nothing to do with the government. They're simply there for the, the smart talent. And Amazon, I think, is obviously the, the biggest, clearest example of that. HQ2 is not any way related to government. It is all about retail sales. It's about how quickly you can um, you know, get your cat food delivered or mm-hmm. your uh, brand new stereo or, or – <laughs> You know, it's your, about your, that infrastructure and, and luxury and amenities, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's not a government thing. But, you know, again, where, where it plays focus is the fact that with HQ2 there, it's great for Virginia. It's great for the D.C. metro, for sure, from an economic standpoint. Not so great for national security in terms of pulling people from that workforce. You know, what are you seeing right now, Evan? I mean, cause I know you see this market right now. Is is the is there an increased need in terms of the cyber talent? I mean, you know, I know we always talked about like kind of the hot jobs. Are you still seeing that to be the case that there is a, a strong uh, need for those IT talents for a number of different people? And I even know that uh, the kind of the Baltimore and Fort Meade area have been kind of on the rise with cyber and all the other kind of pieces right there. So uh, the whole DMV, the whole D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area have really kind of been on the rise, as you've just been saying. Um, is, is that the case right now, that, that agencies still need, uh, whether it be cybersecurity people or just even kind of network you know, uh, security people or even just the people who maintain the systems, is that still being a high area of growth? Yeah, and I think you know, taking the conversation back to Amazon, um, Amazon has stated that they're going to hire their first 400 employees in, uh, in June. Okay. And obviously, they're looking at, you know, 25,000 people total for, for HQ2. Now, if all those people were, you know, sales and marketing and, and retail analysts and, you know, maybe even finance and accounting, if, if that's what all those people were, it might not have such an impact on the uh, national security in, in the area. But, but the problem is that a whole lot of those HQ2 people being hired are cybersecurity they're software engineering, they're hardware, uh, they're all the things that the government has uh, a desperate need for. And with HQ2, you've got a large number of positions, you've got uh, a very attractive uh, employer, and people have already started trying to make up their minds about, you know, do they want to stay in the clearance industry or do they want to go to work for Amazon? That is, you know, easily the top concern for national security companies in the areas. How are they going to compete against HQ2? And when right. you think about the government agencies specifically, it's even more difficult. How does someone like the Department of Homeland Security compete against Amazon for talent? Yeah. They, they yeah. simply cannot. Right, right. It, 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 is, is the, the thrill, remember, you know, and we've been around long enough to see that, the, that there was one time that the clearance meant everything to everybody. And it was like, you know what, oh, I got to have a clearance, especially if you were, you know, in this D.C. area, but also just around the nation. Is that kind of the thrill of having the clearance? Is that kind of gone now, the mystique of having the clearance or people feeling the need to have that? Is that kind of – is that eroded now? It has, and it's unfortunate too because, um, you know, as important as jobs are, making sure that you get your 
cat food on, on same day delivery or, or right. you get your, um, your, you know, throat lozenges delivered to your, the, the or, trunk of your car. Or a drone is that's dropping, all, that's your, all dropping great. your stuff off. A drone is dropping your stuff off in it, your backyard, right? <laughs> exactly. A drone dropping frozen pizza. I mean, that, that's all, that's all great and awesome for the economy and it, it's really cool stuff, but you know, it's not national security necessarily. So you're correct, Derek, and that over the last number of years, um, government and industry has really taken a hit in terms of how attractive it is to work for a federal agency or to work for a federal contractor. And this all started in, in 2013 um, when Edward Snowden uh, brought to light a lot of the kind of massive surveillance that the government has been doing, you know, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with it, the impact was uh, was negative. And then you take a look at things like the OPM hack, uh, where 23 million people's records uh, were lost to the Chinese. You take a look at the um, budget cuts. You take a look at the um, December and January, um, most recently, of um, uh, furloughs mm-hmm. and of the government shutdown. Right. You know, you pile all that together and it's just cast this really dark and negative light on employment. And you know, the hope is, is that it's not going to take some awful terrorist attack to get people's, you know, sense of patriotism and how important it is to to work for government and work for national security, um, you know, to take hold. But right now, a clearance is not nearly as attractive as it used to be. Um, you can work outside of the cleared industry and you can get paid well. You can have a great career. And, and, and again, not to harp on Amazon, but it's just this loud and clear example in Metro D.C., of you have a choice now. Um, you really do have a choice. You can work for government national security or you can work outside of it and you can really have great career opportunities either way. A clearance is, is not the golden ticket that it used to be. And this kind of drives home, and, and, and we're going to take a quick break before we go into it, but it kind of drives home with uh, the clearance process and the clearance processing times and this new development of, uh, of you know the clearances being moved over to DOD and how that may impact uh, the clearances in terms of mm. timeline and all other kind of pieces. And I want to talk about that when we uh, come off this break, Evan. Uh, we got to take a quick break. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He's the founder and president of clearancejobs.com. If you're looking for a job in the federal government or with the federal contractor, you have a security clearance, everything from confidential all the way to top secret SEI with a full poly, then clearance jobs is definitely a place that you should uh, be taking a look at. They've got some good stuff on their website, great articles and everything else. And then if you put yourself on there, this is the hot market right now for people with clearances. So if you have a clearance, then you'll start getting hits from employers right away. So employers who are hiring should be using it, but also uh, definitely people who are looking for these kind of jobs who have those clearances. We'll be right back after this break. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We have been talking about security clearances, and if you just joined us, we've been having a good conversation with Evan Lester. He's one of our favorite guests, but he's founder and director of uh, clearancejobs.com. If you've ever been on that site, then you know it's a great site, but if you haven't been on that site and you have a security clearance, then it is the place that you should be. It's a place where you can find jobs, you can find government jobs, and also government contractor jobs. And there's a lot of great employers on there, a lot of great recruiters and great information and advice on there you should be looking at. Evan, you know, we were just kind of mentioning previously about uh, Amazon kind of coming in there and that the clearance market is not what it used to be. Some people don't really find the appeal of it anymore. And this also has been because, you know, people have been waiting a year. Uh, I think one time me and you talked, you said about 500 days. We were in the 400, 500 
hundred days to get cleared at some point in time, mm. which is you know that's a, right. well over you know a year, year and a half going into. You know what's happening right now with this uh, NBIB, which you know the National uh, Bu- the Investigative Bureau um, of Investigations mm-hmm. who was doing the OPM and who took over from OPM. Um, what's going on with it now going over to DOD? What's what's that whole process about right now, and what's going to be the impact? Sure. So there have been some improvements. Um, in, in fact, the Q2 2019, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Q1 2019 numbers just came out from the government um, talking about clearance processing times. And, and they have gotten a little bit better, but that's um, the quarter before that. They've actually gotten worse. Right now, it's taking um, an average of 468 days for a top secret clearance and 234 days for a final secret clearance. And that is the fastest 90% of cases. So there's still 10%, a fairly large number that are above um, uh, that time, time range. In, in terms of the backlog, they're roughly down to 500,000 people. And if you remember, not too long ago, it was at 700,000 plus. Right, so right. they're making some good headway, some good progress for sure. But if you ask any employer in Homeland Security, intelligence, or defense, can they wait 468 days to get a top secret clearance for a worker? they'll just flat out tell you no. And in fact, you know, they're going to find it hard to wait 168 days, much less 468. So, you know, the numbers are getting better, but in no time soon will the government have the numbers down to a point where this is not an issue. Um, You mentioned the, the National Background Investigation Bureau. And if your listeners remember, it was just a couple of years ago that they had started, you know, OPM created this brand new agency to handle investigations. And the goal of the agency was to get investigations done faster and at higher quality than at any point in the past. And they were essentially around for a year before um, talk surfaced of saying, you know what, we're going to hand this all back over to the DOD and let them do it again like they did years ago because they think they can get it done uh, quicker and better. So really, just in the last week, um, an executive order was signed that said, yes, all investigations um, will move back over to the DOD. And that's kind of been in process for a number of months, but now it's, it's quote unquote official. And as you can understand, when you move something as complex as a background investigation from one federal agency to another, there's always red tape, there's always delays, there's always personnel changes, there's always new policies and new technology being implemented. And to some degree, it may be a step forward, but it also feels a bit like a step backwards because it's going to take some time to get settled in. So, Derek, the verdict is out whether the the Department of Defense will be able to handle background investigations in a more timely manner, but also maintaining a high quality level. We'll see. You know, this brings a question for me is what's going to happen to all the people at NBIB? Are they moving over to DOD? Is DOD just going to, you know, bring, I mean, I know there's a lot of those who are now contractors working for different firms and some of them are actual working for NBIB, but you know, what is going to kind of be the personnel dynamic or did DOD already have their people, their infrastructure already ready to go? And they're like, Hey, we don't need any help from anybody. And we're just going to kind of go ahead and take it and run with it. How is this process, you know, working with this kind of transition? Um, to be honest, Derek, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, and, and part of that is due to the fact that it's been fairly quiet in terms of, you know, what's going to be happening to uh, the the NBIB. The assumption is that some of those workers um, will be moving to the DOD, mm-hmm. um, especially some of the contractors. But 
Um, I, I haven't seen any reporting anywhere that, that clarifies that um, completely. Um, without a doubt, I'm sure there'd be some MBIB employees that um, are out of a job and, and, you know, perhaps looking somewhere else. Um, so I wish I had a more um, yeah. complete answer for you, but I, I'm I not really it's, sure. It's, it's so early. We don't completely know where kind of maybe the fallout or where maybe the benefit of this is right now. Um, I, I guess, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. wondering is, 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 is the DOD and DOD is a very, very large organization who is doing things. Does that mean that every single clearance from every single agency for the most part will now be under DOD's mandate at this point in time from you know, everything from DHS to, you know, or are, are some agencies still going to be keeping, uh, you know, their processes as kind of more independent? Yeah, some some agencies do maintain their own processes. They, they have slightly different criteria in terms of adjudication and, and what they would consider acceptable or not acceptable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we tend to talk about the DOD just because that's where, you know, the bulk of security clearances are. And that's where you know, when we talk about the backlog, we're really talking uh, Department of Defense. So I think that that's why they kind of take the um, the forefront. You know, one of the things that I think was probably going to be a benefit down the road is the fact that the DOD has spearheaded the continuous evaluation process. Okay. And your listeners may remember that continuous evaluation is essentially this kind of digital, automated, computerized scan of someone that has a security clearance and it's meant to replace periodic reinvestigations, which is a very human-centric manual process where every 5, 10, or 15 years, a clearance holder would undergo that reinvestigation. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they implemented continuous evaluation is because they wanted to catch the next insider threat. You know, one of the main issues behind Edward Snowden is that um, the, the actions that he did that, that caused so much disruption were done in between periodic reinvestigations. And, you know, they're not going to catch that kind of thing. So the fact that the DOD has spearheaded continuous evaluation um, really could be kind of the the side play that that no one's looking at is that could really help to speed up the whole process. The backlog, about half of the backlog are people that are waiting their first clearance ever, but the other half of the backlog are people that are waiting for, for reinvestigation. And um, if continuous evaluation being a DOD project really kicks into high gear, um, that could be something that that has a pretty big impact. So the fact that it's a a DOD project and that DOD is taking over most of the background investigations, I think there's some great synergies there. You know, with all of that, I mean, and and it sounds as if DOD is kind of maybe ahead of the curve in terms of technology. And as you mentioned, the continuous evaluation, and maybe if you can combine all those together it will shorten, uh, the, you know, maybe maybe cut in half the amount of time that people need to get these clearances and everything else. Is, is DOD um, kind of also, you know, spearheading maybe some of the research and development that goes into maybe the clearance process? And, and I know me and you have talked about this, Evan, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, looking at social media and, and looking at kind of the, you know, what where we didn't used to kind of go into those worlds of, of an investigation, but now that's almost a requirement, and that requires some kind of looking into technology more, looking at people's Facebooks or Instagrams or whatever they may be doing. And, and we've ha- also had the concern about, you know, certain people, extremists, maybe working for government or something like that. Are those some kind of new developments that are also being looked at more and more? And is DOD kind of really have their eye, you know, on, on that kind of uh, uh, maybe concerns or critical issues? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. And in, in fact, you know, we all know that the government is uh, the United States' largest employer, 
but within the government, the DOD is the largest employer. And um, for that, you know, for that matter, the DOD um, is actually a very current organization with regards to technology and policies and things of that that nature. Um, one of the, I guess, complaints that people had about the OPM is that um, they were kind of behind in, in terms of uh, technology and behind in terms of thinking and and things of that nature. And, you know, they, they they did an okay job while while they had the security clearance process, but now that it's back to DoD, um, there's definitely some potential upside for what you mentioned. And a couple of things come to mind. The, the first is that the DoD for the longest time has talked about how can they or, or how can government in general uh, prioritize security clearance cases right now for the most part it's just a long queue of people and if you put in your um, sf86 form you know yesterday and mine went in today um, i'm behind you it doesn't matter if your position is way more important than mine um, or mine's more important than yours it's all who does it at what point in time so the DOD has talked for a while about how do we prioritize cases to have the biggest impact. Um, someone who's a you know, high-level scientist or a cybersecurity professional, can we get them to the front of the queue, whereas we leave um, other people that may not be as critical for national security further back in the queue? Um, so the DOD has really been trying to champion that, and there's some hope that with their influence, they'll be able to get that going. Um, another um, avenue is uh, reciprocity and uh, the DOD has, has long understood that one of the biggest delays in, in terms of um, keeping up human resources um, in tune with national security demands is being able to move people between agencies specifically to and from the Department of Defense and while not a whole lot of progress has been made on that front I, I would argue that the DOD has is very aware of that issue and has been a, a bit of a champion in terms of trying to bring it to the forefront of, uh, of lawmakers' minds. You know, we got to take a quick break, Evan, and, and this kind of goes into, um, and, and maybe we'll hit it maybe at the last part of the show, but I get a lot of people who also ask about, um, you know, a, a, a agency started or a contractor started my clearance, and, and you know, and, and this kind of goes into this transfer because some people now feel like they don't know how to find out if they're cleared or not. I've had a lot of questions sometimes about people saying, hey, I got started with a process, but it didn't finish, or um, I'm in this kind of, you know, a zone where I don't know what's going on. At some point, maybe we hit the end of the show, we're talking about clearance processing times. I want to kind of talk about how do people find out, you know, where they are with their clearance at some point in time and I, you know, I get concerned about it especially with this new transfer over to a new, new agency you know what do people do to kind of make sure that they're still on top of you know their clearance process especially when they've been waiting 400 or so days you know and, and, and making sure that yeah. they you know that's a very frustrating process right there for many people yeah. and how can they find out that kind of information we're talking to Evan Lesser he is the founder and president of clearancejobs.com uh, a great site in which people People um, can find out the jobs that are hiring that require security clearances. And if you've got a clearance, everything from a confidential all the way to a top secret, an SCI and a full poly is a great site for you to be on. There are great employers right now. If you have these clearances, you're a hot commodity right now. So I encourage people to jump one there. And also, too, for employers who are looking for great uh, candidates, then we've got some great candidates on there as well. We'll be right back after this break. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch on Federal News Network.
Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Deutsch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. If you just joined us, we have been talking about security clearances. We've been talking to one of our regular guests, one of our favorite guests, Evan Lesser. He's the founder and president of clearancejobs.com, a great site for those who have clearances to find jobs and a great site for those who are recruiters to look for good candidates who have these clearances. Evan, when we have been talking, you know, we've been talking about the, the you know, this, this clearance process. We've been talking about the kind of change of the appeal of the clearances. But, you know, I, I heard this as a matter of fact, you know, today. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny that we're bringing it up. But the gig economy, you know, in, in terms of, you know, what's going on. And they mentioned it even in the jobs report that a lot of people are in, are in the gig economy right now. A lot of people are kind of doing independent work, right, and, and you know, where they're driving for Uber, they're doing Lyft, or they're doing other kind of work and everything else to make that additional money, right? Um, how does that right now impact a person who is uh, with the clearance or trying to get a clearance? I mean, what's going on with that, and what's the impact of that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, clearance jobs writer uh, Sean Bigley recently completed a, a really great article on this. It's, it's on our website. I'm honestly how the gig economy and side work affects people with clearance is something, to my knowledge, not a whole lot of people have ever addressed before. So for your listeners, by side work, as you mentioned, we're talking about cleared people augmenting their income by working another job or jobs in addition to whatever primary job they have that requires a, a clearance. You know, gig economy work, side work is not going to be cleared. Mm-hmm. So the issue, yeah, the issues are um, – that Sean brought up in his article is, you know, one, making sure that any work that you do that is separate from your main clear job, uh, one, that you let the government know about it, um, especially if you're, um, should be paying taxes on it. Um, You know, side project work may be something small here and there, and that's one thing, but if you're, you know, doing something consistent, working for Uber, have a, a side photography business or something online or using Fiverr or other sites where you're, you're you know, contracting some service or skill that you have out to others and getting paid for it, you know, you definitely want to let the, the government know as a clearance holder that this is something um, that you're doing. Um, the second thing is, is it should go without saying, especially in places where it's not yet legal, is that if you're doing something that um, involves uh, marijuana at all, um, just because it's legal in some parts of the country doesn't mean it's, it's legal on a, on a federal level. Um, and there are quite a lot of jobs that are coming out that involve uh, marijuana, um, which is an uh, interesting topic all in itself. But it should go without saying if you're a security clearance holder, uh, that's something you have to keep in mind. Um, another aspect of it is trying to understand if what you're doing could conflict in some way with your primary security cleared job. And, you know, that could be anything from working in um, uh, adult entertainment to uh, some other type right. of something that could either put you, you know, put, put, put you at risk right. or um, possibly put you open for, you know, coercion or something like that. Um, you know, the gig economy is crazy. There's, there's every type of job you can think of is, is out there. If someone wants or needs something, there's probably a job for it. Right. So, right. um you know, yeah, those are the kind of considerations that, that pop up for security cleared workers. It's so easy to just go off and, and do something where you make some extra money and, and not think about how it could affect your, your daily cleared job. 
you know, I, as as I think about it, I mean, the, the gig economy is, is is really booming right now, and and you know, there are people who can do things online. They can get paid by doing stuff online, or like you said, driving, or you know, webcam, or or just so so many different avenues. Mm. Like you mentioned about kind of you know the the booming marijuana, which is starting to you know really kind of take hold in in many parts of the country. Uh, I was listening recently about kind of even more uh, you know legal stuff that's happening in D.C. to kind of more decriminalize it and allow things to start happening where you can, you know, maybe buy certain things and everything else. And that's happening across the country. Uh, is, is, mm-hmm. is, is the federal government providing any kind of guidance on this right now? Or this is kind of something that a person independently needs to say, let me go talk to uh, the HR person. And, and, and you know, I, know, I know some people, find, you know, uh, find it hard to kind of say, I'm about to work here. And some people have to, find, you know, hard um, – uh, you know, they find it hard to even say, hey, I'm about to go drive. Hey, like, why are you about to do that? Well, I mean, I got a kid in college. I got this, that, and I'm going to make some money, right? But, you know, but I know some yeah. agencies make people, you know, um, sign a conflict of interest form, you know, to say, hey, listen, you can't do things in conflict. But it seems to be the guidance is still very, very vague in what you can do and what you can't do. Is is that the case right now, Evan? Are you seeing that? And even with contractors, sometimes they may not even, you know, completely have the same thing a federal government person has if they have gone through a contract company because they may not have had to sign the same kind of documents. So what should people be doing right now? Yeah, so to answer your question, no, the government has not come out with any, um, you know, guidelines or thoughts or suggestions around working the gig economy and, and how it might, you know, affect your, your government or contractor job. But I think what you said is really important in that you really want to talk to your your security cleared employer and let them know what you're doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, working working a side job is not nearly as weird or strange now as it as it was even a decade ago. Um, you're right that some people are working side jobs for, for money, but a lot of people do side jobs just because they, they, they like it. Right. Um, you know, I, I've, I've got a friend who um, is, a, is a photographer and. Uh, he, he just does it because he, he, he thinks it's, it's fun and interesting and, and exciting and it hits that creative nerve. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, recently checking out a, a new, uh, newish website, at least to me, where um, you can literally type in any activity from proofreading a document to getting a resume written to having someone edit a video to whatever you're looking for. And there are people all over the planet right. who are ready and available for a small fee um, to to help you out with whatever it is you're looking for. I think it's like um, Fiverr, you think about all the Fiverr or something like that. Was that the site, right? The Fiverr or something like that? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you yeah. can, if for five dollars, you can bid on it, and you can get something to do. Like you said, they'll do something for a very inexpensive thing, and be like, "Hey, I need this," and they're like, "I yeah. fifty dollars." All right, cool. Yeah, exactly. And there are you know plenty of businesses that are uh, delivering um, you know items or delivering right. food or delivering whatever. So it's not it's not something that is, is weird anymore. And again, people do it not just for money, but often for entertainment or social mm-hmm. or to, to, you know, check off some, some creative nerve, but it's really important to, to let your employer know that, that you are doing this. And, and I say that specifically for security cleared people, because a lot of people have these gigantic um, uh, employment contracts that they sign with their employer and, and, you know, like any 10 page document, you probably glance over it and then you sign at the bottom and it may say somewhere in there that if you get a side job, you need to let your employer know, or if you get a side job, your employer doesn't approve of, um, that could be a problem. Now I say that for cleared people, because if you lose a job due to some, you know, ethics violation, um, that's going to be something that you're going to have to list on your FS, uh, SF 86 down the road. And that's something that some other security cleared employer 
uh, may look at and say, no, we don't, we don't want to deal with you. And, you know, it could potentially cause you to lose a clearance down the road as well. So, you know, it's very important to let your employer know, long story short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when, when, when we look at this and kind of look at maybe this whole environment, because it, it seems as if the world is moving very, very quickly, you know, in terms of, uh, like you say, either gig economy, either other things of that sort. I was just kind of thinking about kind of even the um, the cyber realm. And, and I know we talked about clearances and how, um, you know, maybe some agents, and I've even heard some military agencies, I mean, some military branches are having to do this. Or, and, it, and it kind of reminded me of kind of the gig economy of where, you know, if we need more cyber people, we, we can, you know, we can have a reserve or, or have a, a group that we can call up very, very quickly. And, and they may not work full time for us. They may not even be in the military, but they, we can call them. You know how FEMA has the, the, their, their disaster reserves and everything of that sort. Sure. Are we, are we yeah. going to be, are we seeing that more in the government? I mean, is the government going to be moving towards that in cyber and other places more in terms of kind of, you know, having this uh, body of people they can call up when they need and, uh, or for certain things? Well, for cybersecurity um, in particular, uh, you know, as you mentioned with FEMA, there there are natural disasters and now there are cyber disasters mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, the government does have a pool of people that they can call on specifically. Some are in industry, some work for government um, to help out in, in, you know, in need in terms of a crisis. But as you and I have talked plenty of times before, there are not nearly enough people that either work for government or work for industry that are available to match the amount of need on from a daily basis, much less an emergency basis with regards to cybersecurity. Um, and people know that. And, and I think one of the things that is starting to gain more um, attention is the fact that colleges and universities are now setting up quotas for themselves, especially in the DC area, but all around the country, setting up quotas for themselves to create as many tech workers uh, for the future workforce as possible and to graduate as many as possible and to make sure that they're um, uh, government compliant or DOD compliant in terms of their, their training and skill sets. Um, so I think in, in terms of taking the mantle for the next generation of cybersecurity workforce, um, industry is doing some but I would I would argue that colleges and universities are really stepping up to the plate these days. And it seems as if with some of the STEM programs that they're really trying to get in with these high, with some of these kids and uh, maybe get you know because I mean I guess if you get get them early you can get them cleared early and you don't have to necessarily worry about all the pains that of a person who's had a full life yet right you know in terms of kind of really kind of going through mm-hmm. you get them cleared at a high school level you you really can can kind of have that person mm-hmm. contained already right um, and then make sure they don't do anything else after that are, are we, are we going to continue to yeah. see this kind of growth of, like you said, uh, maybe even swinging down to high school and college students really kind of now, uh, the universities who have these strong kind of maybe uh, cybersecurity programs or other programs, that government's going to be working hand-in-hand hand with them in terms of kind of maybe even clearing them early or getting them involved in certain things early uh, to kind of, you know, really build that workforce? Yeah, yeah, and, and we really have to. It's not a question of um, yes or no. It's definitely a yes. The question is how many people can we get through the system um, more and more tech workers across the country um, are coming in um, overseas on, on H-1 uh, visas. And as you know, uh, with an H-1B visa, um, you can go to work for certain companies, but you just you can't get a clearance right, right. Um, uh, of, of really any substantial level. You can, in many cases, get a, a public trust clearance as H-1B visa holder, but that's few and far between. Uh, but you surely can't get a secret or confidential or top secret clearance as an H-1B visa holder. So... Yeah, there's something kind of weird 
going on and that STEM careers are just not seen nearly as attractive um, by a large segment of the population. Um, you know, colleges and universities are really having to, to scramble to make sure that they can make those degrees uh, attractive and then government's having to scramble to make sure that people know that coming to work for government or industry in national security is a really great career choice. And some of that does have to do with the, with the gig economy. A lot of people are earning a pretty decent living mm -hmm. um, just by freelancing and, and not having to have a, you know, nine to five sit at a desk um, uh, in, in a cubicle kind of, kind of job. It, it's gotten very uh, legitimate to, to do that kind of work. Um, but the future for that means that those traditional people that, you know, grew up, went to high school, went to college and got a, a STEM degree and went to work for government are just really not the norm by any means these days. The government's going to have to work really hard to get people, especially high school students, to know that this is an attractive career prospect. And a lot of that means having to, to pay them uh, appropriately. Right. Right, right, right. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He's a founder and president of ClarenceJobs.com. If you have a clearance, it's a great site to be on. Everything from a confidential all the way to top secret, SCI, full poly. If, it's, if you have one of those things, this is a market for you right now. There are employers who uh, are looking for people with clearances. And, and you know, jump on ClarenceJobs.com and you'll have recruiters talking to you. And if you're a recruiter, an employer looking for those kind of talent, then this is a great site to be on as well. We're going to take a quick break and we got a, 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 the last segment is going to be pretty quick, but we're going to get a couple key things in from Evan uh, to talking about a couple uh, key things about clearance processing time and then also how to find out, you know, where your clearance is at if you need to, especially with some of these transitions going on from MBIB to DOD and everything else. We'll be right back after this break. Listen to Federal News Radio. Listen to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. If you just joined us, we've been having a very, very good conversation about what's going on with clearances. We always do this every few months because it's an important thing. I mean, this, you know, really the security clearance industry is really the, one of the crux pieces of the federal government, whether it be a contractor or whether it be government employees. There are so many people in the federal government that require security clearances. We always have to have these conversations. We're talking to Evan Lesser. He is the founder and president of clearancejobs.com. They're a great site to be on, and if you have a clearance or if you're looking for people with clearances, then it's a great site. Hey, Evan, you know, when we look at this piece right now, and I know you mentioned about clearance processing time, but I know you said there was a little bit of a drop, a little bit of a, you know, that we, we've seen a little bit of improvement. And I know it's, too, it's, it's really kind of hard to tell right now, but, you know, do you think that this uh, transition to DOD, do you think that it's possible? And, I, and I'm trying to remember, Evan, because we've been talking for so long, what was the lowest processing times that we ever saw? I mean, in terms of the fastest processing times that we ever saw since we've been dealing with this stuff. Do you remember? Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, no. Well, Clearance Jobs has been around since 2002, and I, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe the fastest processing times we ever saw for top-secret clearances um, was, you know, maybe a little bit less than a year. Okay, okay. Um, so right under 365, maybe like 300 yeah. or something? Do, do you yeah, and in some cases we're, we're getting done quicker. But, um, yeah, in general, I, I want to say the fastest we've ever seen was a little bit short of a year. Do you think we'll ever get back to that uh, uh, where we were less than a year in terms of processing people with a top secret? We probably will, but um, not to be a, a, a negative Nelly here, but <laughs> right, right. The, the problem that happens <laughs> – the problem that happens when we see improvements, drastic improvements in the clearance processing times, is at some point you start to hear about the quality of the investigation suffering. And I think that 
this is a, a, a pretty normal reaction, and this happened, you know, in, in waves up and down since 9-11, that when the backlog gets large, when clearance processing times increase, um, people start talking about, well, how do we get this to go faster? How do we get to go faster? And then eventually the pendulum swings and they do get investigations to go faster and the backlog gets reduced. And then at some point we start talking about, well, how did this guy get a clearance? Um, you know, whether it be Aaron Alexis, Edward Snowden, uh, Reality Winner, all, all these different people, they, they start looking at the quality of the investigations. How did this person slip through the cracks? And then we start talking about the quality of the investigations. And a lot of times people think, well, you're going too quickly. Uh, we're sacrificing quality for quantity or we're sacrificing quantity for quality. And it just, it seems to be like this pendulum. Mm -hmm. And without a doubt, it's hard to create that balance and to, to kind of have uh, what's acceptable on both sides. But I, I think the reality is that we're going to end up at some point with much better clearance processing times. We're going to end up back down to, you know, 100, 150,000 people in the backlog, which is probably an acceptable number. But sadly, we're going to come up with some quality issues at some point. Do you feel as we are, are kind of going forward and maybe technology gets better and everybody is now kind of, you know, getting more and more concerned about that technology will kind of take over uh, the, the human, right? And this may, you know, really even go into investigations that technology will take over the human investigator. Uh, do you do you sense that we're heading in that direction right now? I mean, I know we talked about continuous, uh, the continuous, you know, uh, processing or continuous threat monitoring. Are we moving to where we'll we'll be seeing more of a kind of an AI investigator who can kind of sweep through a lot of data very, very quickly? Um, what, what do you see the future holding, especially with DOD kind of moving and them having the technology they do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're a number of years away um, from that. The, the government's always just a bit behind in, in terms of making the best use of, of technology for, for something like this. But um, you're right, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence is getting good enough and cheap enough and fast enough that it wouldn't be surprising to see if there's some kind of a, a pre-adjudication in the future where investigation details are fed into a machine and it can quickly make a determination as to yes or no, whether that person should uh, be suitable for a clearance. And then, you know, perhaps in some cases, a human looks over it. I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that point, mm -hmm. but considering it was only recently that investigators were allowed to look at social media. Um, I think we're a number of years away from that, um, without a doubt. <laughs> right. How do people find it, what's going on with the clearance right now? If, if they've been, you know, they've gone through a process, they've been through background, they've been through a poly, but things kind of got stopped somewhere and, and they don't know if they're in adjudication or if they're in the clearance process or if it's done. I mean, how do people find that out, Evan? Uh, sadly, they cannot. Um, mm. and, and this is really one of the biggest, uh, the biggest problems in the clearance process is that at the very beginning, it's very hands-on. You've got a, a really nice electronic form that guides you through all the questions, and it's extremely detailed. And, you know, you've usually got a, um, an SSO or FSO to help you through it. And, you know, it, it seems like it's a very, you know, modern kind of process. And then as soon as you submit your clearance information, it's essentially crickets, um, and it can be crickets for, for years, mm -hmm. just absolutely no feedback at all. And, you know, everyone's different. So some people are going to get their, you know, clearance quickly. Some it's, it's going to be that unfortunate 10% that takes well over 500 days, and you really just don't know what's going on. And the industry knows this is a problem. Government knows this is a problem, but no one has come up with any 
solutions as far as how to address this. And that is where a large number of people are exiting out of this process. They're saying, listen, I haven't heard anything for 100, 150, 200 days from the government. Nobody knows what the status is of my clearance. They tend to get scared or spooked that there's something in their background, which most of the time there isn't, and they exit. And again, not to keep talking Amazon, but if a very attractive company like Amazon is saying, we can interview on a Friday, and if we like you, we can push you to work on Monday, mm. that's the kind of thing that just yeah. makes this all the more painful. Um, government hiring process and security clearance process and the lack of communication it's just a huge problem for, for national security, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I really do sense that what you're saying and, and even just how you just put that, um, I think that's kind of that should be startling to uh, human resource people in the national you know, security sphere uh, that, you know, people may just say, hey, listen, I don't I don't need this. I don't want this. I don't you know, I can't wait a year and a half to get started. Um, you know, it's just not worth it anymore. And so I do think that this is something we got to continue to talk about and we got to kind of push for these improvements and, and, and really even pushing for the improvements of just people communicating with candidates. Uh, as you said, I mean, this, mm. this kind of black hole of, of I think more candidates would stay in there if they just kind of knew where they were, you know, where they were in the process. And if people gave them realistic timelines, I think we lose a lot of people just off of that, Evan. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, you think about the workforce is, um, is getting younger and younger and people are retiring and younger generations um, that grew up literally um, with the internet uh, from the day they were born are now entering the workforce and they're used to instant messaging. They're used to live discussions. They're used to getting a lot of information at their fingertips and to be part of a process where you submit information on yourself and you don't hear back from anyone for one, two, 300 days. It's just unacceptable for a lot of, uh, younger people. It's just, it's alien to them, honestly. Evan, you're right on point always. Hey, listen, we'll, we'll catch up with you in a couple months to, to see what's going on. I know we got the salary uh, report that you're going to be having coming out soon. So we'll definitely be talking about that and many more issues. Thank you so much for being on the show. Good to talk with you, Derek. You've been listening to Fed Access with Derek T. Dorch on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Monday afternoons at one or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.